Colossians chapter 2, and verse 8, please. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blocking out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What a fantastic portion of scripture. You know, it's amazing to think that as we have went through the last few weeks, that people look outside the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. There's even people who are in, if you want, call themselves Christian denomination. They're within the, the realms of Christendom. And they try to add by works, by arms and deeds. Oh, gee, to add to Christ to be saved. Oh, Jesus died, but I must do. Jesus died for me. Yes, I believe that, but I must do this. And the gospel is the opposite of that. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross was a finished work. A completed work. It was a work once and for all. And it will never be repeated again and it cannot be added to. One old Puritan said to add anything to the work of Christ and his cross work is a destructive addition Christ. And when someone tries to add to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them, I mean at Calvary paying their debt, we've sang it, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds, his blood has paid my ransom. Christ has paid our debt in its fullness. And to think that people in Christendom would even think of well, they can do some sort of works or go through some sort of stations of the cross to help them 
draw nearer to God. The Bible tells us that Christ has done it all. Verse 10 is our text every Sunday morning when we've been on this subject. It says, and ye are complete in him. So we've looked at being complete in what Christ has done. In his birth. Through his book, the word of God. His baptism. And this morning, we want to look at his blood. In his birth, he fulfilled the time scale. I'm not going through them again. I've went through them. It take too long. He fulfilled the time scale when the, the, the prophets had said he would come. And he did. He became a man. In keeping his book, he fulfilled the law and the prophets. So he kept it for man. In fulfilling righteousness, he claimed this at his baptism. This was to fulfill all righteousness or to be part of the fulfillment of righteousness. He claimed it at his baptism. So he identified with sinful man in the water. And in fulfilling everything to do with the cross, the shedding of his blood, he shed his blood to redeem sinful man. Look at our reading just briefly this morning. If you would just let your eye run down our reading to verse 13. And you being dead in your sins, Dead in your sins. In other words, we had no life toward God. We had no thought of God. And any thought that ever came into our mind of God was the irresistible grace of God. Fancy the regeneration of the Holy Spirit drew us to Christ. Helped us to see our need of a saviour because we were great sinners. And Paul writes here, and you being dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Notice, having forgiven you all trespasses. Would you say all? All. All of your trespasses. Not just some of them. Not just the most of them and you have to do the rest of it. He has forgiven you all of your trespasses. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. John tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness again. He says if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from All sin. All sin. Some people think that, oh, people have been saved and they've maybe been the bad rascal, to put it politely this morning. But only some of your sin was forgiven because I like to remember part of it. No, no. He's forgiven all your sin. All of your trespasses. All of it. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Even as believers, 
Confess it and he cleanses you afresh. All sin. If we say that we have no sin, we do lie. So John tells us. Listen to what he says in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is faithful. When you're unfaithful, he remains the same. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, when you got saved, your past was washed away. And when you failed after you got saved and you've brought it to the cross and you have confessed it in repentance to God, guess what? He washes your slate clean again because that's the power of the blood of the Lamb. That's the power of the blood of Christ. And so Paul tells us we were dead in our sin. He's forgiven us all of our trespasses. How does he do it, Paul? Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary unto us, and took it out of the way. How did you take it out of the way, Lord? Nailing it to his cross. Nailing it to his cross. The idea of blotting gives the idea of completely wiping something clean. Completely wiping something clean. The handwriting and the ordinances that were against it. What was that? The breaking of God's law. Do you know what God's law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, say about you and I? The first commandment would say, he is guilty. The second commandment would say, He is guilty. The third commandment would say he is guilty. The fourth commandment, he is guilty. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth commandment would all point to us and say he is guilty, she is guilty. But Paul tells us we were dead in that and didn't really care much. But tells us Christ took our guilt. And he was nailed to the tree. And the shedding of his precious blood Washed it all away from us. He paid your debt and my debt in its fullness. The devil thought he had him. The devil thought he had beat him. But in verse 15 it says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Christ is triumphant. Christ is victorious. The cross was not an accident. The cross was not a mistake. The cross was not a failure. It was a triumphant, victorious, glorious work of God. So brothers and sisters, Paul mentions the circumcision here. Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 2 please? Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Just for time's sake, let your eye run right down to verse 8. This is after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It says in verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21, pardon me, and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Then the next one is the law of purification, which Mary and Joseph would do because she had had a baby. She had to stay apart for a while. But notice verse 21, eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child. So the Lord Jesus Christ was circumcised on the eighth day. On the eighth day. Now what he is doing here, he's fulfilling something. He's fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. He's keeping it. The Abrahamic covenant, if you want to turn with me, we'll look at it very briefly. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. This is a covenant. Glenn mentioned the new covenant that Jeremiah was prophesying of, which was uh, the cross of Christ. And here going further back to Abraham, I'm just going to have to pick some of these. Uh, verses out please verse 2 the Lord says to him his name is Abram at the time and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly verse 4 he says as for me behold my covenant is with thee and I shall be a father of many nations later I run down to verse 7 I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant notice everlasting let I go down to verse 9. And God said to Abraham, here's the changing name. Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after, you, after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or, brought with, or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. Notice, eight days, circumcise the child. Now, what has that got to do with the blood of Christ? Do you not think when there was circumcision there was blood? A blood. The covenant in the word of God is ratified by blood. After Noah's ark rested, there's a rainbow, we know the story, Noah shed blood and was ratified between him and God. Abraham had this covenant ratified by blood by the, the separating of animals. And the light went, the torch, the flame went right through the blood. But here now, man's part between me and thee, he says, and your seed, Abraham. So what happened? You be circumcised, he says. And that is a sign that you're my seed. That will be a remembrance. Do you not think the pain of this? The, the, how uncomfortable it would be afterwards? I don't think this would remind them of the blood. Christ is taken 
in Luke chapter 2 and he is circumcised, as it says, on the eighth day. Something I want to run past you here. Numbers are are, uh, very important in the Bible. For example, the number one is the number of God. In the Shema, it says, Deuteronomy 6, I think it's verse 4, maybe. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, Jehovah or Yahweh or Elohim is one Jehovah. One God. So one is the number of God. Two is the number of witness and union. Witness and union. Two testaments in your, in your Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Two houses of Israel. Glenn read it this morning from Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 33. The days will come when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. Joined together in Christ, union and witness. We're told that a man and a woman was made and they would come together, Adam and Eve, and they shall be one flesh. That's a witness. Not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. There's a witness. It's a union. And of course, witnesses in the scripture, it says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Even in the new covenant, in uh, the, the the gifts of the spirit, there's a message in tongues, there was to be uh, two at the two and at the most three who would uh, messages and one would interpret union in it and it was a witness in it so take note of this number three speaks of completeness and validity and depth of the witness the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established for example We have Jesus prayed three times in Gethsemane as we read it. The depths of the witness of Gethsemane. And we have three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all see as though it's out of the same eye, but of the Spirit. Jesus prayed, as I said, three times in Gethsemane. Three brings depth, for example, this table before me. If it was just the top, it would be two-dimensional Length and breadth. That's two dimensional. But when you put a height or a depth on it, it brings a deeper meaning to it, a clearer vision of it. Length by breadth, by depth or by height. Three, in the scriptures, God has revealed to us as the Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. And of course, that brings greater depth whenever. We see him as that throughout the scripture, yet unified in one. And of course, we think of the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the witness of them bringing forth Israel. Jesus was crucified on the third hour. That would be nine o'clock in the morning. And the darkness came over him As the wrath of the Father came, as he shed his blood, the wrath of the Father came. 
The darkness was across the whole of the land for three hours. What a depth of witness. That in Christ he has paid our debt in his fullness. The wrath of God was completely poured out upon him. So that it wouldn't be poured out upon me because I'm trusting him. And he died at our time 3 p.m. on the ninth hour. And nine is a multiple of three, the witness of witness, the death of Christ. I'm bringing you somewhere here, so stay with me. Four is the number of creation. Four seasons, four points of the compass. Five is the number of grace. I think we all would know that. And six is the number of man as human weakness. We always hear six, six, six. But listen, every man is under the number six. Man was created on the sixth day. Seven is complete labor for six days. Seven is completion and perfection. There are seven churches in the book of Revelation. We hear of seven trumpets. And Israel were given seven annual holy days. And every one of them speaks of Christ and his blood and coming again. I haven't time to go through them. Maybe I'll do them someday. But the first one, the first feast was Passover. That's when Jesus died on the cross. They were slaying the lambs and shedding their blood. In the temple. And Jesus was outside the city walls. The Lamb of God. To finish all lambs sacrifice. Shedding his blood. And of course that was Passover. And then again. It finishes with tabernacles. John writes in the last book of your Bible. The book of Revelation. Behold the tabernacle of God is with men. Christ coming again. Eight is the number of new beginnings. New beginnings. Nine symbolizes God's completeness and finality. Nine fruit of the Spirit. Nine gifts of the Spirit as well. And ten is God's number of divine order. Ten commandments. Ten plagues in Egypt before they would release Israel. And the last plague was the shedding of blood and the application on the door. All pointing to the blood of Christ. Eleven speaks of disorder, chaos and judgment. Disorder, chaos and judgment. And twelve speaks of God's government. See, eleven is one less Then 12, God's government, 12 apostles, 12 tribes, 12 fathers of the tribes. And one less than that was chaos. I'd done a message at the time of 9-11. It's online somewhere. It's only on audio. And I showed you the numbers 11s through it. The number 11s, they're everywhere through it. Even the towers themselves look like a number 11. But this number eight, Jesus is fulfilling that and he is keeping that from Genesis 17. And number eight speaks of new beginning. This would be when the the new beginning would start to happen in the ministry of Christ and the new beginning would be then at the shedding of his blood on the cross 
And the new beginning would be that those who would be in Christ would be born again, would be saved. So the eighth day he went to be circumcised. Paul tells us the circumcision is no longer of our flesh, but of the heart. And even this, not only physically as Abraham's seed, but spiritually Abraham's seed. You turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm just going to lift out a verse here and there. Let your eye run down, please, to verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. In other words, our hearts putting away the sinfulness, as Paul says in Colossians in our reading of the flesh. Sinfulness of the flesh. And then go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, please. God's saying, it's not just that I want you to circumcise your flesh, I want your heart as well. I want your heart. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. In other words, what he's saying here is for the temporary, it was the circumcision of the flesh, but a time would come when he would circumcise the heart. And that's you and I who are in the new covenant that again Glenn read from Jeremiah 31. Circumcised in the heart. Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah 4 please. And Verse 4. Circumcise yourselves unto the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Notice there has to be a heart movement. It has to be from the heart. Our faith, our love of Christ has to be in the heart and not just fleshy, carnal religion. Religion of the mentality of man speaks of nothing but death but the circumcision of the heart speaks of life for blood had to be shed at circumcision that is of the flesh but also now it had to be shed for us for the circumcision of the heart Ezekiel 44 Ezekiel 44, please. And just let your eye run down to verse 9. Thus saith the Lord God, no stranger or uncircumcised in heart nor uncircumcised in flesh shall enter into my sanctuary of any stranger that is among the children of Israel. Note the Lord said, see if there's no circumcision, they're not mine. 
They're not mine. Now, in the new covenant, we do not look to the circumcision of the flesh. Jesus shed his blood on the cross that we would be circumcised in heart. Okay, let's move on. Notice, on the eighth day, they took the Lord Jesus to be circumcised as it is in Genesis 17. And then this letter became codified as we've read and inscribed into the book, his book we've already talked about, the law. It stands for new beginning. It stands for new creation, new order, and resurrection. In other words, there was the, the Lord Jesus died, and whenever he died, he rose again on the first day of the week. But when we look at it, he died And he rose again, seven plus the one on the first day of the week is the eighth day. And hence, he rose again. The resurrection number is the number eight. Just let me show you this before we just move on briefly. The name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. Now listen, people try and tell you, oh, that name, that name is actually from Zeus. You shouldn't use the name of Jesus. That's nonsense. Now that's nonsense. The name Jesus in the Greek is Iesus. Iesus. And all the numbers have a numerical value. Or pardon me, all the letters have a numerical value. For example, this is how you would spell it in our English. I-E-S-O-U-S. So the number I, or the letter I, is at a value of 10. Hebrews are the same, they have values. The letter E is the value of 8. The letter S is the value of 200. The letter O is a value of 70. The letter U is a value of 400. And again, the letter S is 200. And when you add them together, it becomes a number 8, 8, 8. The travel witness of the new birth, of the new life, of the new covenant, of the new order. Now they're talking about a new world order, aren't we, all the time? Coming on the earth. There is a new world order coming on the earth. It's when Christ comes again. That's a new order that will come on the earth. And hence, Jesus was born from the line of David, who was the eighth son of Jesse. So now these numbers mean something. Here he comes, circumcised on the eighth day, And every time there was circumcision, blood was shed, fulfilling that of Abraham's seed, of the line of David, coming now to be kinsman, redeemer for you and I. I hope you're with me in this. When you realize these things, it encourages us. For example, it talks of, in Genesis 17, verses 7, and in verse 13 and in verse 19 of the words, the everlasting covenant. Now note this, Hebrews 13 and 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, notice, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Through the blood. This isn't the circumcision of the foreskin now, this is the shedding of the blood of Christ. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, 
working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. So, listen to what these verses say as we round this up. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts 20 verse 28 tells us, Feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Notice, underlined, if you're underlining the word, write it down, his own blood. It is personal to Christ. It is particular to Christ. And it's precious to the Father. It's his own blood. I'm not trying to be I'm trying to be crass here. But imagine if someone came up and punched you in the nose. And your blood started to come out of your nose. You touch around your nose here and you look at your hands, don't you? Hey, I'm bleeding. The sees it would come. I'm actually bleeding. Anyone that sees it would come to your ear to say, this person's bleeding. Look, the blood's coming out of their nose. They must need to get some help. It's personal. We just glance past it. The blood of Jesus, we just go on by it. If someone is bleeding, everyone gathers around to try and help them, bandage them up or whatever, because they realize how personal is the blood. I'm bleeding, look. Look, I'm bleeding. The blood's on your hands and it's all over your fingers and you do this and it goes around your mouth and your nose and I'm bleeding, I don't believe he hit me. I'm bleeding. It's my own blood. That's my blood. How dare he do that to me? Look at my blood. So can you imagine... Even for a moment, can you think even for a second? And can we pause just for that little point in time? And let's just think about this. My blood. I dirty. It's on my hands, my nose, my face, my mouth, maybe on my cheeks or down my shirt. Can you imagine what it must be like for the father when the blood of his son was shed? Can you imagine even for a moment just to pause to think what it must be like then for people to try and bring religion, ritual, Ceremony before God, good living, or thinking they're just all right as they are, anyhow. Before God to say, Look, I'm that good God, and you're going to let me into your heaven. Stop and think about this. His own blood. Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. God was in him. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. 
Our reading tells us, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Or as the Greek would say, in him dwelleth, lives and abides all of deity. All of deity. And now his blood is shed. How personal is the blood of God's son to the Father? Think about this. How personal is the blood of God's son to his father? And people think they'll come. I was at church every week. People think they'll be saved and they'll enter into God's glory and his heaven. People think they'll be all right when they stand before him that day. Well, I done the alms and the deeds and I done all. I tried to be my best and I done, I done good things. Father's going to look. God is not going to look. He judges through his son. Stand up and say, where's the blood? What about the blood of my son? Feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Listen to Hebrews 9 and 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Underline it. Not Here's the temple, goats and calves and shedding gallons and gallons of blood. Think about it. Sacrifices, having to work and labor at it all the time. This isn't an unbloody mass here. All these religions shedding blood to some deity they claim as God. And our, our, our Bible tells us, his book tells us, that he came and shed his own blood for us. That he came and shed his, his own blood, personal, peculiar blood, pure blood, holy blood, undefiled blood, sinless blood, spotless blood. And here they are, laboring away, some of them wearing their Dagon face mitres. See on out boy in the over in Archbishop of Canterbury. Now he comes and he's walking and he's saying all sorts of manic crazy things. And when they want to show how important they are, they come out with their big robes on. Their big Dagon fish mitre. That's what it is. It's a, it's a mitre. But if you look at it, it's like a fish's mouth. That was Dagon, the, the fish god. It was an idol god. Near they come walking out with his crozier staff as if he is a shepherd, the Christ of God. The Pope does the same. It's all, it's all pomp. It's all religion. And it's worth nothing. Blood. He shed, the Lord Jesus Christ shed, his own blood. Hebrews 13 and 12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Suffered without the gate. Notice, Jesus suffered. Take the words in. Let's not just glance past these this morning. 
Let's not glance past them. We read them and go, oh yes, I read that. I know that verse. Let's just pause. Put on the brakes. Take it out of gear for a moment. And let's think about this. That he might sanctify all who would trust in him. Through his own blood. He suffered. Notice the word. He suffered. He suffered for me. He suffered for you. He suffered for us. He suffered without the gate. It means outside the city walls. Nobody where put him. At the rubbish dump of Jerusalem. At the rubbish dump of Jerusalem. That's what they thought of Christ. They put him outside in the rubbish dump. Hung him on a cross. And he suffered outside the gate. With his own blood he's bought us. With his own blood. If you're not saved this morning. Should God take you? God forbid should something happen. You stand before God. What are you going to say to him? Oh, I was at CET on Sunday morning. I even went some Sunday nights. Is that what you're going to say? It'll mean nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This place can't save you. I can't save you. Oh, well, I was a good Protestant. I was a good Catholic. I was a loyalist. Hey. Well, here I was a Republican. Loved my country. Okay. It'll mean nothing on the day you stand before God. Not that. Not a thing. For he'll say, my son, suffer for you outside the city walls. And he paid the debt with his own blood. With his own blood. And you've rejected the blood Oh, no, I believe. It's just a tried a bit as well. No, you've called it null and void. Null and void, the power and the blood, because you thought you needed to help Jesus out. But he came to save you. He came to save you. I love the song in Revelation 1, 5. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins. Imagine this song in heaven. John saw it. Imagine we're going to be standing in the blood-washed throng. He took us from the miry clay, out of the mire and into the choir. Hallelujah. The heavenly choir. Unto him who hath loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. His own blood. finish this one Romans 5 and 9 much more than being now justified by his blood if you're saved this morning born of the spirit and washed in the blood of the lamb the Lord Jesus Christ if you're saved Would you say two words? Three words. Being now justified. Would you say it? Being now 
Well, let the devil hear it. Being now justified. When are you going to be justified? Someday, whenever you get good enough. Someday when you've tried hard enough. When you've worked long enough. When you've done religion and you've went through the whole ritual. Well, I'm trying to make it better. I'm trying to get my ducks in order, as it were, and things in a row. And, and, I, and I'll be justified by doing this. I believe Jesus, but this is what, he, what I'm going to do as well. No, he says, being now justified. Know what he says about me? I'm just as if I'd never sinned. All our sins are washed away. All our sins are forgiven. All our sins are gone. From as far as the east is to the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Praise him church. He's worthy of the glory. Being now justified. How are you justified Ken? How are you just as if you'd never sinned? I'm justified through the blood of the Lamb. Through the blood of God's Son. I'm justified by what he's accomplished and carried out on Calvary's tree. Bless his name. Are you saved this morning? The Lord Jesus Christ. His blood. His own peculiar. His own precious his own pure blood. You know what? Doesn't matter how long you're saved. The saved man and the saved woman, it doesn't matter how long you're saved. You will be saved. If you're saved by the blood, it doesn't matter how long it is, how long you're on the road, it doesn't matter. See, when you hear about the blood, it does something to your spirit. It does something to your heart. You rejoice in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, someone says it's a bloody religion. Yes, it is. But it was his blood, not mine. Not goats or calves or turtle doves or pigeons or red heifers. No, his blood was shed once and for all. It will never be repeated again. Do you know why? Because there's power Power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. For there's power, power, wonder-working power. Bless Him. There is power, there's wonder-working power in the precious of the Lamb. And the blood, hallelujah, bless his name. No, never, Jesus' blood, and shall never, come on, there's power. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Awful Lamb, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of... Come on, church, praise the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Hallelujah. Bless Him. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
preached out <laughs> until tonight. Until tonight. Look, I can't help but get excited about the blood. Can't help get excited and rejoice in the blood. Tim, would you come up? We're going to sing a hymn and let you get away home. Love to see us tonight at 6 p.m. We'll just make the effort. Phone somebody and invite them, will you? A man came to the Lord last Sunday night after the meeting. Cried his way to the cross. Phone somebody and say, will you come out tonight with us? Used to be, we used to, believers used to be all trying to get the unbelievers out. And that's the pastor trying to get the, a lot of the believers out <laughs> on a Sunday night. Listen, I'll tell you, see when Christ is in a life, that life can never be the same again. And never be the same again. I'm glad I'm forgiven of all my sins. Are you not? I'm glad that I'm forgiven. My past is gone. I'm a new creature. I know it don't look too new, but I am a new one. You know what? I was talking to Ruth Boyd, well, message last night. Just mention about when Christ returns. And when Christ returns, this body and your body will be changed. And it says, won't it be great to see him? Notice, to see our loved ones again. Yes, but I want to see Jesus, you said. And you know, I have to agree 100%. Who do I want to see? I want to see Jesus. I want to see the Lord. God bless you. Hopefully see you, God willing, this evening at 6 o'clock. And guess what? We're at the cross again. That's a bit different. But we're at the cross tonight. You may say, well, sure, you've already preached around the cross. You preached about his blood. Listen, you could preach the blood every meeting and it would still go. If there's power in the blood forever, well, then there's enough for us to preach on it forever too, isn't there? May God bless you. Let's receive the offering. And then we'll sing this as you're lifting the offering and then we'll let you get all the way home. See you this evening.